Our liberties we prize and our rights we will maintain. This is Iowa Civil Rights History Podcast, where we tell stories about the contribution Iowans and the state of Iowa has made to advance the civil rights movement. Past stories are being told, present actions will be highlighted, and preparation for the future will be discussed. Here is your host, Eric Ganyange. Welcome to the Iowa Civil Rights History Podcast. On June 15, 1869, it marked a historic milestone for women's rights in the United States. As Arabella Mansfield of Mount Pleasant, Iowa, became the first woman in the United States to be admitted to the Iowa Bar Association and granted a license to practice law. This groundbreaking decision by the Iowa Bar Association made Iowa the first state in the nation to allow a woman to practice law. My guest today is a retired judge, Emily Schaeffer, who has devoted nearly 20 years researching, writing, and speaking about the life and legacy of Arabella Mansfield. Judge, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for the gift of your time today. Oh, thank you for having me. You said uh, an apology is the sign of a secure leader. I think it's, it's very true. If you have the strength to apologize when you've made a mistake, when you've made an error, then that shows you, you have the capacity to admit your own failures, yeah. admit your own mistakes, and communicate your knowledge yeah. of that error or that mistake to another person. So do you think if you have a leader that never apologized, that's a red flag? Yes. That'd be a, a red flag. And another thing you mentioned about your parents, they told you, use your talent, time, and treasure to better your community. My father was a Methodist minister in, in Iowa. So we lived in various small towns in Iowa as I grew up. And that's a, a common statement in probably many churches, but yeah. specifically in the United Methodist Church where mm. my father preached that's just a mantra that's always stayed with me. And all three are important. Mm-hmm. Your time is very yeah. important. Your talents, whatever those talents might be, whether they're speaking or singing or any any other, yeah. it's important to share them with others. And then, of course, your treasure. <laughs> Every nonprofit yeah. needs money, needs funding. So it, it really is important, all three. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I probably spend a lot more time and, and talent, <laughs> or hopefully talent, what I have of talent, to others, and, and then try to share my treasure as, as I'm able. You grew up, you wanted to be a Broadway star. Broadway star, music therapist, <laughs> and yes. uh, psychologist. Then you ended up being a lawyer. All true. Somehow <laughs> people, good researchers seem to find the Broadway star part. I'm not quite... <laughs> I, I would hope that'd be buried somewhere, but it's not. But yes, it's true. I, I, I confess. I can, I can see the psychologist part with the lawyer and the judge kind of go hand in hand. Yes. But then I was like, what did that come all about? You want to be a Broadway star? Oh, growing up. Growing I, up. I was always a performer, a singer. Okay. Uh, not, never a great dancer, but I was in all the musicals in high school and then some in college and some post-college. So I, I've just always loved performing and that's a dream. And then you quickly realize, oh no, that's not real. There are very, very few talented people actually <laughs> make it to Broadway and lots of other people 
don't, you know. So you killed that dream in college? Yes. It never came back? No, I, I just decided to keep performing as a hobby instead of as a profession. And, and I am still doing, doing that. I'm still doing some performing here and there. Choir and church and stuff yes. like that? Okay, yes. okay. Do you do like uh, any live performance at all? Mm-hmm. You yes. Do? What, what kind? Yes, I sing with a choral ensemble called the Des Moines Vocal Arts Ensemble. Okay. And we give concerts several times a year. And then, yes, almost every Sunday in church, I'm okay. part of a choir. Or sometimes I'm a soloist in special services during the summer. And then, oh, I'm part of a reader's theater right now through my church. And then I, I do these dramatic vignettes about Arabella Mansfield because I'm fascinated okay. with her. So I just perform those. They're like a dramatic monologue. Undergrad from Drake? Yes. What did you study at the undergrad? Psychology. Oh, so right. that, that worked out that perfect. That was my psychology yeah. degree. And I, I do think the, the psychology <clears throat> degree and especially the behavioral psychology uh, we focused on at Drake was very useful in my le- legal career. Huh. Just trying to understand people, uh, read people, yeah. Catch- find ways to get information mm-hmm. <laughs> that I needed. Catching people, people on. Yes, and <laughs> determining credibility is what the term we use. That's a nice way to say. So grew up in Iowa? Yes. Born and raised? Yes. Okay. Siblings? Three brothers, one sister. Both in Iowa? None of them are now. We were all educated in Iowa, and then gradually most of us moved to Chicago. Oh. And lived in Chicago for, for several years. Okay. And then now... We're spread across the country. I've got a brother in Palm Springs, California. A sister just moved to Asheville, North Carolina. (laughs) A brother in Dallas, uh, Fort Worth, Texas area. Yeah. And one brother still in Chicago area. Okay. Oh, so that makes sense why you went to Loyola? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. Because I was trying to tie those together. I'm like, why did you leave Drake? There's a Drake Law School. Okay. My sister and I in, moved to Chicago, to Chicago. After, after we both graduated from Drake and on a grand adventure and then uh, went to law school there and stayed there for a few years and then moved back to Iowa. Okay. When, when you went to law school, were you a, did you think about becoming a judge or you were thinking just, ah, I just want to be a lawyer? Was that on your radar? Becoming a judge was not on my radar at the time. I was just really focusing on on law school and then what type of law I wanted to practice. Yeah. And I worked basically full-time all the way through law school. So I worked in a variety of law offices. I learned what I liked to do or what I wanted to do. And I also learned what I didn't Mm. want to do. That's that's very (laughs) important. When I'm talking to law students now, I describe those stories and tell them it's as important to learn what you don't want Want to to do do. as it is to learn what you what you want to do or what you enjoy doing and what you're passionate yeah. about, about yeah. doing. Were you in civil law or were you in criminal? I did both you civil did both? and criminal. So mm. I, I worked in a large law firm for one year for my first year out of law school in yeah. Chicago. And then I was a prosecutor. Okay. So I prosecuted a variety of cases uh, oh, okay. in Chicago. And then when I moved back to Iowa, I still did some criminal laws, some criminal prosecutions, but also mostly civil okay. litigation for, for many, many years. What was your favor between the criminal and civil? I really enjoyed criminal prosecution. I, li- I really liked the pace mm. of it, and it was 
just interesting. Every case is a different case. The civil litigation was interesting too, because you're always learning something new, a new area of law. I really always enjoyed research, Uh. researching something new. What do we need to know about this case? And going back to the psychology piece you mentioned earlier, taking depositions or questioning witnesses is is an interesting way to to use that psychology Mm -hmm. background of determining how can I get information from this person? How can I ask a question? So they'll answer that question and, and I'll, I'll gain all the information I need and, or what signals can I use to determine whether or not I think they're telling the truth. truth. So how long were you, you've been a judge before you retired? For about nine years. And then you retire in 2019? Yes. What are you doing with your time now? Sharing my time talent <laughs> in some treasure with my community. So I, I'm doing a lot of presentations, what we call CLE or continuing legal education okay. presentations, primarily diversity related mm-hmm. topics. And then also writing a few articles here and there, uh, trying to read my way through my very tall bookshelf. I, I, I know. <laughs> Not successfully there. <laughs> But spending time on the things I really enjoy doing, mm-hmm. I'm judging mock trial. I love oh. judging mock trial, okay. middle school right yeah. now, high school in the spring. Nice. And then just volunteer, a lot of volunteer work Yeah. Uh, to, oh, to further, it sounds hokey, but to further my passions yeah. and to, to, to really make a difference and, and do what I can. Arabella Mansfield. So when was the first time you came across her story? It's been at least 20 years. Okay. So more than 20 years ago, I was involved with IOWA, the Iowa Organization of Women Women. Attorneys. Yeah. And others who'd been in the organization longer than me uh, told, told this story that you know, did we all know that mm. the very first woman admitted to practice law in the United States Came was admitted Iowa. in Iowa yeah. on June 15, 1869, and it was Arabella Mansfield, also known as Belle Bab yeah. Mansfield. And why don't we celebrate that? Mm-hmm. Why don't all women lawyers know that fact? Yeah. Why don't all lawyers know that fact? Mm-hmm. So it was... It was about 20 years ago when we decided to give an award in her honor and memory every year for that purpose. Okay. So, and that's when I became, I think it's safe to say, obsessed with, <laughs> with her story. So she was born in Burlington, Iowa, 18, May 23rd, 1846, moved to Mount Pleasant. Where did she go to high school? In Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant. Okay, because in 1866, she graduated from Iowa Wesley College? Yes, so Iowa Wesleyan College is located in Mount Pleasant, Iowa. And her father died in California in a mine tunnel cave-in when she was about six years old. And the amazing action her mother took was to secure a scholarship for Arabella Mansfield at Iowa Wesleyan College. 
and along with her brother as well. But that fascinated me. Her mother was farsighted enough to To think education. my education is the key for my daughter. I don't want my daughter to be in the same predicament I'm in, you know, suddenly widowed with, with two young children. And what her mother said was, I realized the potential precariousness of total reliance on a husband. Yeah. So she decided her daughter's education will you know, be must important. be guaranteed, must be secured. Yeah. What did she go to college for? What did she major? Do we know? Did they even have majors back then? Did people go to college major something or did they just? I haven't ever heard what her college major was, although now you've sent me down the path for more research. <laughs> Uh, she was the valedictorian of her class. I yeah. know that. And then she became an academic. She immediately began teaching at, at Simpson. And she, later, she was the dean of the School of Fine Arts at DePauw University mm. in Indiana. So her major may have been music and, and fine arts, yeah. but perhaps English, uh, perhaps writing. Uh, yeah, good inter- question. Interesting. She taught at Simpson College? Yes, Simpson College in Indianola, Iowa. So that was right after she graduated. Yes. She started teaching. Do we know what she was teaching? No, I don't. No. Another question. Another, that yeah. I, uh, more research for me. And then 1867, she started studying law. Yes. In her brother's law office? Yes, in Mount Pleasant. When did people start going to actual law school? Is Was that normal back then? Like people just, you start under the lawyer and then go take the bar exam and you pass, you become a lawyer? People could take both paths or either okay. path, I should say. At the time, of course, a woman, you know, wouldn't have thought to go to, to go law, to law school. school. That's true. That's more true. or less an experiment. But yeah. it was common for for many people to study the law or read the law uh, under the tutelage of a lawyer yeah. in their law office. The University of Iowa never discriminated uh, against, you know, women or people of color in admission, yeah. you know, to the university or to the law school. But as far as we know, the the first, you know, women were admitted 1870s mm-hmm. and the first African-American men were admitted in the late 1870s. So it was more, more common and probably easier at yeah. the time to, to study in your brother's law office, you know, in the same small town yeah. than to travel, you know, all the way to, to the law school in Iowa City. Self-taught, basically. And then to go take the test. Yes, it's fascinating to me to think back because we, we spent three years in law school took all these classes yeah. a semester long. And then we studied for, in addition to that three years of education, we studied for the bar exam for at least six weeks mm-hmm. after we graduated from law school. And so we received this concentrated yeah. education just for the bar exam, bar exam. and then yeah. took the bar exam and passed it. But, but thinking about, just studying for two years and then and then taking the exam. Take the bar it, exam. it is really interesting. Yeah. So the idea to study under the lawyer, why? Is if you have questions or why 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 was that important 
to be for her even to start under her brother. Sure. First, the law office would be where the books, the, the books would be mm. kept. But then also, yes, to be reading, to know what to read. You know, what subjects sh- should you study for the bar exam? What cases are important okay. to read? You know, what what general topics are important? What facts? Should you know what information should you know? And then, as you suggested, I'm sure it was important to to have someone there to ask that that question. Just like we did in our classes, in our law school classes. You're right. You could ask the professor. So the professor in this case would be her brother, the lawyer. And to have, to to make sure that she was on the right path. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone to bounce ideas off of, or as we we did throughout law school, you have, you have good friends or study partners you, you study with and you mm. sometimes debate back and forth or yeah. you just converse back and forth to make sure you both understand the, the material or understand the legal analysis. Yeah. You're right. So she just, okay, now you, you say that now it makes sense. Like, yeah, she so the the person you're studying under just become basically like your professor. Correct. Like, hey, what do you think about this? Okay. 1868, she's married to John Mansfield. Yes. A professor at uh, Iowa Wesley College. Yeah, he was a it's, professor at Iowa Wesleyan College, a union uh, veteran. All this took place with the backdrop of the Civil War yeah. and post-Civil War and, and all the tumult in the country. Yeah. How, John Mansfield, her husband, actually studied law with her. That's, that's crazy. And they took the bar exam with the same... Day. Same time. Wow. Same day. We're sworn in at the same, same time. Same time. Mount Pleasant also was huge, one of the underground railroad towns. Mount Pleasant was a very progressive mm-hmm. town at the time. Yeah. Because, yes, it was a, a number of abolitionists lived there, a stop on the Underground Railroad. John Brown visited yeah. Mount Pleasant and yeah. recruited a few people to yeah. accompany him. And they also had a co-ed educational institution called Howe's Academy, which mm. that was unusual to have a co-ed you know, institution at the time in the small town, in addition to Iowa Wesleyan College, which oh. was a oh. co-ed. Do you know if she had any involvement with the... Underground Railroad in Mount Pleasant. Of that, that I don't know. She was very involved in the women's suffrage movement, and that's where she really focused much most of her her time. After she became a lawyer, in addition to academia, but I no, I do not. So now I've got another topic to (laughs) to research. Yeah, uh, another thing I didn't see is did they have kids? No, no, they did not. No, they didn't have children, and I, I wonder if that's one of the reasons it's so hard to find information yeah. about her, because she was obviously a very modest woman. Her, she didn't write about herself. You know, her husband didn't write that much about her, even though they're both academics. Oh wow, which is interesting. Eighteen sixty nine. She's ready to sit for the bar exam. Because women were not denied to study law, but they were denied to practice law. So you can study law as much as you want to, 
but you're not going to be practicing it. So yeah. she, she, she did finish studying and she's ready to sit for the bar. She will let in yes. to sit for the bar. The district, what is, what's the district court judge name? Francis Springer. Francis Springer. Do you think he was ahead of his time? Because I, I felt like he bent the rules a little bit. Yes. To allow her to. Interpreted. To, yeah. <laughs> the law very broadly. I think if I'm quoting him right, he say the statute does not deny women to sit for the bar exam. It just said who can. Yes. So he interpreted the word male, which I we should probably say first the the law in Iowa at the time, or I should say the Iowa Code said in order to become a lawyer, licensed to practice law in the state of Iowa, you had to be white, male, over the age of 21, male, and of proper uh, moral character and fitness, which is true for most state laws. She qualified under the word white. She was over the age of 21. She was certainly, you know, of proper moral character. Yeah. But the word male, uh, Judge Springer interpreted the word male to mean all humankind in general yeah. or, and or gender neutral, which nowadays laws that include, you know, a certain gender are commonly interpreted as gender neutral. Mm -hmm. But in 1869, correct, yeah. that was a very unusual interpretation yeah. for him to make. He, he, he knew what that meant. but <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. But he, he interpreted that word, the word male, to be gender neutral, which opened the door, the door for Arabella Mansfield to actually take the bar exam mm. and, and then be admitted if she passed the bar exam. So you can take the you can study for the exam, and then when you're ready to take the bar exam, what was that process? You need to apply to the Iowa bar, and then how how did that how did that work? Yeah, so the Iowa Supreme Court governs uh, regulates the bar admissions. So yes, a person would study would be ready to take the bar exam and would be required to apply to take the bar exam and say, I meet the qualifications, the requirements in this yeah. statute. So may I please take the bar exam and be admitted to practice law? Of so, course, I'm oversimplifying. Ours yeah, was yeah. A, a detailed written application with lots of background checks mm -hmm. <laughs> and so on. But back then, yeah. I'm, I'm presuming it perhaps wasn't as complicated as, as it was in you know, yeah. 1990. But, but yes, she would have had to apply, okay. ask to, to be examined, yeah. you know, to, to take the bar exam and, and basically say she met the, the qualifications. qualifications. So then that will go to, because I'm trying to figure out how did this end up at the district court judge Francis 
to make that decision. Because I'm assuming after she did apply, people looked at it and be like, whoa, you are not supposed to be doing this. Let's turn this to, so probably maybe they turn to the judge and be like, judge, look into this because I think she should not be taking this exam. Because otherwise you can just look at the application and be like, no, you don't qualify and put it in the trash. How did that end up on a judge's bench? Correct. So the the matter was assigned to District Court Judge Francis Springer. So that's another, what a wonderful door mm-hmm. to open or mm-hmm. a possibility for that door to open that it was assigned to, to him. Uh, he was sympathetic to the women's suffrage movement, so that maybe that there, helps. Yeah, there you go. And he perhaps was a judge more inclined to consider this interpretation, but he did. He in his in his statutory construction, which is something judges do all the yeah. time, you interpret the statute, you decide what the statute actually means. He said that words importing the masculine gender only may be extended to females. Mm. So he found another section of the Iowa code or another Iowa law that said the word male, basically said the word male could be Just interpreted to mean men and men, women or gender neutral. Mm. And then he said, since the word male in that statute about bar admission can mean females and, or women, yeah. then she's qualified. She, she's qualified. She can go ahead and take the bar exam. Wow. And, uh, she became the first woman to do that in the United States. Yes. Right from Iowa. Yes. Now, going back to Judge Springer, does that show us how much power judges have to make our society better or worse? Yes. For just that one decision. Yes. That judge changed the whole country. Yes. She's going in there. She take the bar exam. The judge said, oh, you good. Go ahead. She took the bar, scored pretty good. Yes. Her husband, John, also say, hold on, hold on. You cannot leave me behind. He jumped in also. He took the bar exam. He passed. They were both got admitted to practice law the same day, June 15, 1869. What was the reaction in the state? Was that a big deal or was it like, eh, it's another day in Iowa? No, it it was a big deal. Okay, to put it put it mildly, the Mount Pleasant Journal wrote an article about this momentous occasion, including the quote from the bar examiners, the bar examination committee. Yeah, uh, which is a wonderful quote, and I'm I'm so grateful to the Mount Pleasant Journal for including all these details in their article, or that this detail would probably be lost yeah. uh, forever. And then other newspapers around the country picked up on that article. So it did become Big national deal. news. Huh. What, what was the quote on, uh, from the newspaper? Do you know? Do you remember? The committee? Yes. Okay. So uh, the bar examiners felt justified in recommending this woman, Arabella Mansfield, be admitted by the demands and necessities of the present time and occasion. They stated, 
your committee, which meant the bar examination committee, take unusual pleasure in recommending the admission of Mrs. Mansfield, not only because she is the first lady that has applied for this authority in the state, but because in her examination, she has given the very best rebuke possible to the imputation that ladies cannot qualify themselves for the practice of law. Mm. That is powerful. Yes. Now she admitted to practice law, but she never practiced law. No. Did she do that to just break the ceiling to say, hey, I'm doing this for the women. I have no intention of practicing law. I'm doing this for you guys. I honestly believe that was her purpose. I've researched this extensively. I've talked to people who live in Mount Pleasant, who have a lot of history there, and they've researched the same issue because it is an obvious question. So many people are curious about it, but no one could find any evidence that she ever practiced law. She didn't work in her brother's law office, which could have been, you know, an obvious thing to do. She, there's no evidence of her name as an attorney in a court case in, you know, the Mount Pleasant area in Henry County, Iowa. And no one can find any record of her actually practicing law. So the only conclusion, plus uh, some of the things she said, she was interviewed for the newspaper article, and then she was active in the suffrage movement and made a number of speeches you know, here and there. Yeah. And uh, the, the only thing she would say is that she was proud to, you know, to pave the way for others. But perhaps in addition to paving the way for others, it was to, to help her understanding and bolster her arguments in the women's suffrage movement, to understand the laws and, yeah. and the inequality <laughs> of those laws. Mm-hmm. Would, would help her speeches, would help her in debates, would, would really help her work in the women's suffrage movement. And I know that's why a few other women attended law University school. of Iowa Law School to help their understanding of the, of the laws so they could clearly state, clearly articulate the importance of women's right to vote and equality. So... Do you guys as women lawyers feel responsibility for what she did, for what you need to do going forward? Yes, in many ways. At the 150th anniversary of her swearing in, we, we had a celebration in the very room where she took the bar exam and oh. was sworn in wow. in downtown Mount Pleasant. It's called the Union Block Building. And it's, it still exists. It's been restored to its more or less original state. Oh, man, we should have done the interview in there. We could have. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was very important to, to be there in, in the very room yeah. where it happened and celebrate that 150 years. And we spent some time talking about, like, what does her legacy mean for us? Mm. Our responsibility now to to women lawyers, first, step up, Mm. apply yourself 
to a momentous task and see it through. She decided to read law in her brother's law office. She did it. She applied to take the bar exam. She saw it through. She did it. Prepare to be the first in a seemingly impossible professional position. (laughs) Graciously accept support from your family, from your spouse, and from your friends to achieve your goals. Arabella Mansfield accepted support from her brother, uh, studying law in his office, from her spouse. Her, mm-hmm. her husband studied right along with her, and her many friends who supported her. Appreciate a mother who plans for a college's uh, a daughter's college education. <laughs> Earn a stellar reputation with powerful people in your community who can open doors for you. I'm sure that Judge Francis Springer at New Arabella Mansfield and decided to review the statute carefully and interpret it in a generous manner, in a gender-neutral manner, perhaps because he, he knew her yeah. and of her stellar reputation and wanted to open doors for her. Mm. Uh, same for the Bar Examination Committee. She impressed them enough at, that they allowed her to take the bar exam and then were indeed impressed yeah. with her performance. You know, presume that women are qualified to be lawyers, to be judges, to be leaders in the legal profession and in our community. Uh, Presume women are qualified to do all these things. Use your legal education and the virtue and the power of the law to open doors for others, whether it's in your own profession or uh, those who are not treated (laughs) as well as others. Open those doors. Use the virtue and the power of the law to do so. Pay it forward by reaching a hand down to the law student or young lawyer. Mentor the next generation by encouraging them to blaze a new trail and supporting them all along their path. 1870, the Women's Suffrage Convention, she now, did she attend that convention or did she put the convention together? She put the convention together and okay. was the main speaker. What was the agenda of the convention? What they were trying to get done? They're trying to gather support throughout the state of Iowa for more women to spend their time, talent, and treasure mm. <laughs> on the movement okay. to become active members of the women's suffrage movement and to, yeah. so for example, women didn't have, once a woman married, she lost her property more or less, like didn't have property rights anymore. Oh. Her husband, her property becomes became a husband. her husband's property. A person who's educated in the law would, would definitely say, See, wait a minute, have- this is my property. This yeah. is my family farm, you know, or this is, property I brought into the marriage yeah. and it should still belong to me or I, we should at least have equal rights oh, uh, yeah. to that property. Children, you know, divorce was very, very rare in those days. But in the case of divorce, you know, women lost their children, lost custody of their children, lost access to their children. So you can imagine the 
You know, I mean, if there was domestic abuse, which we know there probably was, it, mm-hmm. nobody talked about it. But the coercion that could occur in an abusive marriage, in an abusive household was, sure, you can leave me, but I get the kids. And I um, get you the, can leave me, but I get the farm, I get, all I the, get the land. And you're left with nothing. nothing. So that those basic rights didn't exist uh, for women back in in those days. So that is definitely something the women's suffrage movement was working towards. So not just getting the right to vote, but getting the right to vote. So these yeah. laws could be changed, but also uh, for men in the area, as we'd mentioned before, Mount Pleasant was a maybe perhaps surprisingly progressive Very. place in those days. Yeah. And so a number of men were very supportive of the, the women's suffrage movement as well. In 1872, she took a trip to Europe. Yes. I think it was um, part of the international women's suffrage mm. movement. Iowa women were active in the international okay. women's suffrage movement. Carrie Chapman Catt, a yeah. well-known Iowa Iowan, was active in the international women's suffrage yeah. association. Okay. Uh, 1873, Iowa statue was amended yes to remove the word white male yes and that's all credit to arabella mansfield yes for pushing that you mentioned this too which opened the door for people like mrs rush yes to get admitted to practice law in 1918 and she became the first black woman in Iowa to be admitted yes. to the bar from 1869 to 1873. A couple years there, but actually for Iowa, it's pretty good. Yes. And actually was usually, the next time the Iowa legislature met and could change the Iowa code. Okay. That's why it took a few years because the, the legislature didn't meet yeah. every year like, like they do now. And uh, the process to change the law just took longer, took longer yeah. back then. But basically, the Iowa Code did change as soon as it reasonably could yeah. to remove the word male and to remove the word white to do, that do, specific statute. Do we know how that vote went? No. That would be interesting to know. That would be I'm, I'm always You're giving me more <laughs> research. Stuff to dig into. She passed away in 19, 1911. What was going on there from 1872 all the way to 1911? She continued to work in academia. Okay. So uh, Errol Bellum and John Mansfield both taught at Iowa Wesleyan College for for a period of time. And then John and Errol Bellum Mansfield both became professors at DePauw University in Greencastle, Indiana Mm. in 1876. And then Arabella became the dean of the School of Art and the dean of the School of Music in 1894. You know, the first woman to be that level. Oh, wow. At, uh, at a college, a, a university. And she's commemorated at DePauw University for, for that achievement. Oh. She definitely made her mark in academia. Yeah, nice. In addition to... Her, her mark as the first woman lawyer in the United States. Yeah. Why did they want to move to Indiana? 
job opportunities, okay. I presume, for uh, you know both of them to be offered a professorship and yeah. a, a bigger school, yeah. you know, a, a, a university as opposed to a, a small college, Okay, perhaps. 1911, she passed at age 65. Yes. Uh, do we know, was it natural cause? I presume what? so. I, okay. haven't heard, I haven't seen any th- other cause mm. mentioned. Did she pass before John or John passed before her, her husband? I believe John passed before mm. she did. Well, Judge, that's all I have. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. Yep.